Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 16.1 The Fortress in the Jungle The jungle seemed endless. It felt like all you were doing was walking in circles. Even the creek bed that you had been following hadn't changed much in the past few hours since you've walked next to it. The year is 487 AD. You were on a diplomatic mission from the Satavahana Empire in southern India to the king of Andhrapura on a small island off the southern Indian coast called Sri Lanka. You have no idea where you're going. A delegation from King Kashyapa recently arrived on the Asian mainland and asked if he could bring a few delegates to set up an embassy in his capital. This sounded like a good idea to the emperor, so he assigned you to be the ambassador. You weren't exactly delighted about this assignment, but the kingdom of Andurapura had prominence with the Chinese to the east and an embassy there would help encourage relations with them. It would also open up greater trade opportunities for the Savatahanian Empire. So reluctantly, you packed up, brought a few scribes with you, and set off to this remote island kingdom. Immediately when you arrived, you wondered how there was a kingdom on this island. You knew that the island of Sri Lanka was fairly large by island standards, but there was almost no visibility on the island. The dock was fairly large in the harbor too, but all you could see elsewhere was jungle. The jungle seemed to be encroaching with every second. The few roads that led into the interior were dark, narrow, and honestly scary. Strange noises seemed to be coming from the trees, but you couldn't be seen to lose face. So you buttoned up, had your held high, and followed some men down the dark road into the jungle. Your party had grown a little once you landed on the island. Some servants from the palace had come down to help bring your luggage. But despite the larger numbers of the group, you don't feel at all safer. You were hoping someone would light a torch while you walked, but no one did. You weren't sure why, but didn't want to stop anyone to ask. You almost jump out of your clothes when you hear a loud growl from right above you. You look up and see a sinister pair of eyes looking back at you before they disappear into the jungle. One of the servants chuckles at seeing you jump. He tells you it's just a leopard and that the leopard is curious as to why there's so much noise. But he's not a danger to a group this size. Despite his words, you feel hardly reassured. After what seems like forever, though it only was a few hours, some light appears at the end of the road. Thank goodness, you think to yourself. While you had heard some sounds of men working in the jungle close to you, you couldn't see them at any point during your trip. The jungle was just too thick. However, as you get close to the edge of the jungle, you see a magnificent sprawling city begin to form in front of you. You see the houses of villagers, and those houses which must be for royalty. 
They're made of stone, not mud or sticks, and quite large. There are elaborate gardens and other royal buildings sprawled out around the area. But it is not the houses what is most impressive in the clearing. At the center, rising from the jungle, there is a giant rock formation. It's an impressive formation, sticking up out of the jungle. One of the servants tells you that it was once the top of a magnificent volcano. As you make your way further through the town, the houses continue to get more and more impressive. But contrary to what you are thinking, there's no sign of a palace. You turn to one of the servants and ask where's the palace. He chuckles at you again and points up. You look up confused. As you get closer and closer to the rock formation, you see an elaborate gate and stairwell on the side. The stairs lead up the side of this rock formation. There is a heavily armed guard stationed at the bottom. The leader of your escort party hands one of the guards a scroll. He begins talking to one of the guards in a language that you don't understand. But after a few minutes, the guards wave you and your party through, and you begin the long climb up this narrow staircase. It takes some time for you to get to the top. Out in the sun on the side of this rock formation, you're hot and sweaty. It's been a long journey. You just want to rest and get some water. But when you reach the top of the rock, you stop in your tracks. You can't believe what you're seeing. On top of this rock formation in the middle of the jungle, there is the most beautiful palace complex you have ever seen. Much nicer than what your king has. Complex fountains, pools, and gardens take up just about every spot available. Off in the back corner, a magnificent palace sits. The palace is the most impressive building on top of the rock formation. The palace is shaped and painted like a lion, with ivory tusks lining the doorway, and an imported tiger skin rug from your home country welcomes you. As you step through the door and into your new life, you can't help but think to yourself, how did they do this? How did they get up here to begin with? And how in the world did they build all this up here? What you are standing in is the 16th wonder of the ancient world, the Lion Rock Fortress, or Sigiriya, of Sri Lanka, one of the most architecturally impressive wonders on this list. Sigiriya is also one of the most mysterious, as it was built away from the known world and on an island which hasn't been the center of history spotlight. But as always, before we get too in-depth with the wonder itself, some context first. For starters, the location of Sigiriya is part of why it's one of the most mysterious wonders on this list. Sri Lanka is the large island off the southern Indian coast in the Indian Ocean. For those of us here in the West, Sri Lanka is not one of the most discussed countries in the world. I'm pretty sure if you ask most people, they wouldn't even be able to tell you where it is, never mind that it's actually a country. But that only adds to Sigiriya's impressiveness. It wasn't a part of the known world, 
so there was very little that was written or talked about in ancient Sri Lanka. We do know that the island was inhabited for centuries before Sigiriya was built. Sri Lanka was also the home of a number of Buddhist monasteries in the first few centuries AD, as Buddhism began to spread south from mainland India. In fact, the summit of Sigiriya was once a Buddhist monastery. The island of Sri Lanka itself was a very important island in the world trading game. Ships from China and Southeast Asia heading to cities like Babylon and Alexandria would have stopped there. Likewise, ships coming from the west, headed east, would have stopped there as well. This resulted in Sri Lanka being one of the most advanced countries in the world during the first few centuries AD. The rulers of Sri Lanka were more like Chinese dynasties than Egyptian pharaohs or Roman emperors. These dynasties were family dynasties, and the first of these royal familial dynasties took shape in the first century AD, when Vasava, a member of the Labakan royal family, took over the throne. This founded the Labakanian dynasty, and they ruled for about four centuries in Sri Lanka. But this is where things get interesting for us. In 432 AD, an invasion of Sri Lanka and the Lambakian territory was orchestrated by the Pandian Empire of southern India. The invasion was successful, and they knocked the Lambakian family off the Sri Lankan throne. But Pandian rule would not last long. The Sri Lankans were able to push out the invading Indians when a man named Dahutsina, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, led an army against the invaders and drove them off the island. Dahutsina was a member of the Mora royal family, and they began to rule Sri Lanka. It was one of their kings, the son of Dahutsina, Kashyapa I, who built Sigiriya and made it the capital of his empire. Unfortunately, this is not a pretty story. Most stories about ancient royalty rarely are. Kashyapa I orchestrated a coup to take the throne from his father and take it away from his rightful heir and half-brother. This coup was successful, and Kashyapa ended up killing his father. His half-brother fled to southern India, but vowed to come back and get vengeance and his throne. For Kashyapa, this meant that the throne was his, but only for the time being. The city of Andurapura had been the capital city of Sri Lanka for hundreds of years. But this coup and the recent invasion were still fresh in everyone's mind, so the king made the decision to move the capital to Sigiriya. It was during the reign of Kashyapa I, a time of about 20 years, when the capital was at Sigiriya, that it became a wonder of the ancient world. The rock formation that the palace-slash-fortress sits on is impressive in its own right. This rock pillar rises to a height of 349 meters, or 1144 feet above sea level, and is 180 meters, or 600 feet, above the surrounding plains and jungle. It literally sticks out like a sore thumb. The rock formation is so steep 
that the top overhangs the sides. So how the Sri Lankans first get up the sides of Sigiriya, I have no idea. But as we have seen numerous times on this show, the ancient peoples are able to do a whole host of things that we deem impossible for them to do here in our modern time. And thanks to the trade routes coming and going from the island, King Kashyapa I had more than enough money, men, and materials available to him to construct something truly amazing. Around the base of the rock there were a number of royal office buildings, so to speak. Elaborate pavilions and halls were constructed where royal business would be conducted. But it was what was built on top and on the sides of the rock formation that are in a class all by themselves. King Kashyapa I would turn the top of Sigiriya into a world masterpiece, complete with palace gardens, frescoes, a mirror wall, the largest portrait gallery in the world, an elaborate staircase, and a magnificent palace built for himself. Each of these things are so impressive that I want to take the time to inspect each of these individually. It's like we'll go on a virtual tour of Sigiriya when it was at its height. We will start at the bottom, work our way up, and finish off with the palace. At the bottom of Sigiriya begins the elaborate staircase on the northern side of the rock. The staircase was constructed in such a way that you walked between the legs of a lion and up through its mouth to begin the ascent. Called the Lion Gate for obvious reasons, this was the main entrance to Sigiriya. But once you got past the lion, the staircase was not so friendly. As we mentioned earlier, the walls of the rock formation were almost perpendicular to the ground, making them incredibly steep. As a result, the staircase was steep as well, and it was the only way you could get up or down. If you fell, there was nothing to grab onto, and you would fall all the way to the ground. And that would not be a pleasant landing. The Lion Gate itself was massive. Sadly, we do not know how big the lion's head was, for it has since collapsed above the stairwell. But its paws remain today, and they are huge. I have pictures up on the website if you want to take a look. This gate was guarded by armed men who would have checked everyone ascending to the royal retreat at the top, to make sure no one had any ill intentions for the king. The staircase hugged the rock wall as it wound its way up the sides to the top. On a small plateau about halfway up the sides, there was another gatehouse. This one was shaped like a sphinx-like lion and was 35 meters or 114 feet tall. This sphinx was painted bright colors and was the final checkpoint before ascending the near perpendicular stairs all the way to the top of the rock. Such a difficult staircase might seem more like a problem than a solution, but the need for it was obvious. You needed a staircase that was difficult to climb, so that if and when the invasion came, and you were pushed all the way back up to the top of the rock, it would be very difficult for your pursuers to follow you. On the walls of the rock, King Kashyapa I had some of the most impressive artwork done in the ancient world. On the western side of the rock, a wall made out of stone was put together and pushed up against the side of the rock. 
This wall might not seem like much of anything, but it was painted a beautiful white and polished to the extent that the king could see his reflection in it. Hence, it got the name, the Mirror Wall. This wall extended pretty much the entire length of the western side of the rock. This plaster had to be polished to perfection in order for the king to see his reflection. Such a polished job, especially of white paint, must have been tedious to keep up with. But the ability to see one's reflection in it is impressive. Above the mirror wall, one of the first, if not the first, outdoor art gallery was painted on the side of Sigaria. These frescoes are some of the most impressive of the ancient world and still hold their beauty to this day. These paintings depict mostly naked or completely naked women. It is believed that these women were either Cassiopeia's wives or concubines, some other royal women, or some priestesses performing a ritual. Whoever they are, the artwork is some of the best preserved of the ancient world. I have some pictures of the frescoes up on the website as well. The paint was made from clay, and different colors were added in to make them as lifelike as possible. And it is possible that not just the western wall, but the entire rock was covered in these frescoes. Sadly, only the western wall has frescoes remaining on it today. What is interesting about these paintings is that they are the only non-religious old paintings in Sri Lanka. The rest that have survived are all associated with some religious practice. These, however, seem to be unique in the world of ancient paintings in Asia, merely celebrating the female beauty and not part of anything else. As impressive as the staircase, the mirror wall, and the frescoes are, it is what is on top of the rock that is really impressive. The urban plan on top of the rock and of Sigaria, the city in general, is one of the greatest of the ancient world. It was way ahead of its time. I'm not going to get too into the city plan today. We'll discuss more of that next week as most of it revolves around the three gardens on ground level. But the plan involves elaborate concepts of symmetry and asymmetry to intentionally interlock the man-made geometrical and natural forms of the surroundings. Even today, in its ruined state, you can see the design of the city and how beautiful it must have been at its height. Along the eastern side of the tabletop was the palace, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, I want to talk about the palace gardens, fountains, and pools, which were more like a luxury resort than anything else. This was reserved for the royals and had some of the most impressive technology of its day. Seeing that this was on top of a rock, and, well, the top of the rock is flat, there was nowhere for the royals to get water for their pools, fountains, or gardens. They did have reservoirs to catch rainwater, but that wouldn't be enough, especially in the dry season. So the engineers of King Kashyapa I came up with a brilliant solution to this problem. They came up with a genius hydraulic system that used gravitational pull to bring water up from underground all the way to the top of the rock. This water would then trickle down the sides of the rock 
and fill the pools and gardens down on the ground level. This way, the palace gardens would have enough water any time of the year and would prevent the water from standing still and inviting those pesky mosquitoes. What is remarkable about this hydraulic system is that during the rainy season, some believe that the fountains and the hydraulic pumps actually still work. More than 1,500 years later, and they're still functional. That is beyond impressive. And last but not least is the palace. Sadly, we do not know much about what the palace looked like. We don't know how big it was or any other details. All we know is that the palace, too, was in the shape of a lion. How you entered, how it was decorated or painted, or anything about life inside the palace of Sigaria is a complete mystery. It would make sense that the palace would have been destroyed when King Kashyapa I was defeated, but we'll get more into that fiasco next week. Sadly, arguably the most impressive aspect about the palace fortress of Sigaria is lost to history. I don't think we can fully appreciate the beauty that once was Sigaria today. Not enough of it remains and no depictions, descriptions, or carvings exist to tell us exactly what it would have looked like in all its glory. As they say, history is written by victors, and King Kashyapa I was not the victor. Rising from the jungle, Sigaria would have looked like an impenetrable fortress, capable of withstanding siege and attack, but also glistening like a teardrop of the gods. Its beauty would have almost given you second thoughts about attacking. Throughout my research of this wonder, it seems to me that the only other ancient city to come close to the level of beauty that was Sigaria was that of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. With the Hanging Gardens and the Ishtar Gate, Babylon was the jewel of the Mediterranean. And with the frescoes, mirror wall, gardens, and palace of Sigaria, the jewel of Asia was not in China, India, or even Southeast Asia or Indonesia, but on the small island of Sri Lanka, almost invisible to history. But sadly, the life of Sigaria was short-lived. Under the right circumstances, it could have stood for centuries at the heart of a powerful and prosperous Sri Lankan kingdom, which could have threatened mainland India itself. Instead, civil war would take its toll, and the once mighty fortress of Asia would be given back to the Buddhist monks before the jungle itself would lay claim once again. Yeah.